would uh, you open your Bibles now to Paul's epistle to the Ephesians and the second chapter. With a funny color of this cup, I thought you gave me hot chocolate this morning, but it's just water. <laughs> this morning we're going to, going to be reading from uh, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with the 11th verse and reading to the end of the chapter in the 22nd verse. Let's listen to the inspired word of God. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time... You were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And here ends our reading from God's perfect word. Uh, today's handouts uh, is a little bit more lengthy than uh, we've done before. So I'm going to, it's three pages long. I'm only going to hand out one at a time because I don't really expect to be able to to, uh, get through three pages uh, in our little study this morning. Um, If you remember them, where we are, I've been trying to uh, to point out uh, the practice 
of circumcision in the Old Testament and then the meaning of that practice in the Old Testament. And today, uh, I want to talk about something that at first glance might seem to you not particularly relevant um, to the issue at hand, namely who should be baptized. The topic for the day is only one church, only one body uh, of God's uh, people, but as a matter of fact, it's it is it's the issue. Uh, I think our understanding of uh, baptism, whether we take the uh, the historic uh, uh, Catholic, Catholic small c universal view of the church for fifteen hundred years, or the view of the Reformation. Um, uh, whether we see baptism as what God does and not something that we do, something that God does for us and representative of his sovereign election and call uh, of people, or whether we see it as a profession of our own faith, really depends on how we view the church. Whether the church... It's, I, I think we've seen, uh, and, and really nobody would debate that, that in the Old Testament, the sacrament of, of circumcision um, was a household affair. It was not an individual affair. True that when non-Jews desired to join themselves to Israel, yes, they were required to be circumcised. But the huge number of circumcisions, you know, almost all of them, 99.9999999% of circumcisions in the Old Testament was of infants, of covenant children. God made uh, his promise and he put his claim on, uh, on those children. There's no doubt about that. And so the question is, in, in the New Testament, did God, does he now look at children differently than he did before? We read this morning in the, in the psalm, children are an heritage of the Lord. See, they're his children. They're not Philistine children. You see, they're children of the, of the covenant. Has that changed in the New Testament? Of those who carried the sign of the, of, 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 of the, of the death of Christ in their own bodies from, from eight days old, has, not, has God now removed that from them? And so now they're, they're, they're treated just like the pagan children. They're no different from, your, from your, not only your Mormon or your Jehovah's Witness, but, but from your, your, your out-and-out pagans and atheists down the street. Are they different or are they the same? And it really depends on what the church is. Okay? Are, is there a single line through the Old Testament continuing today and going to the end of the world. That's what, uh, what, what I want to be looking at today, only one church. The main uh, verses that I uh, chose for us to look at, I've already read uh, for you from Paul's uh, epistle 
to the uh, Ephesians, and uh, you remember there in the very first verse there, that is to say verse 11, the first verse we read, therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, this is a Gentile church, okay? And he's talking uh, to them uh, about this, you know, you who were called uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision. The Jews, remember, the Pharisaical Jews, and the Pharisees had a huge influence uh, on the Jews in uh, Jesus' day. They tended to, uh, <clears throat> to see themselves as somehow better people. Uh, because of it, and they looked down on those filthy, uncircumcised uh, people, okay? So you who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time, okay, in other words, what time? Well, the time of circumcision, the Old Testament times. At that time, you were without Christ. But notice how he says it, being aliens... From the commonwealth of Israel, the commonwealth, the good things that Israel possessed, and strangers from the covenants of promise. Notice what he's saying there. If you weren't a member of the commonwealth of Israel, you were also strangers from the covenants of promise. Dispensationalism has a tendency to look at the promises to Abraham as what? The land. All the land was promised to Abraham. But as we saw last week in the very same verses in the Old Testament, what, what a shallow view of the Old Testament that is. The promise is, I will be your God. I'll be yours. I'll belong to you. That's what we have in Christ and that's what they had in Christ. Okay? Strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope. If you weren't a member of Israel, there was no hope for you. Because God made his promises to Israel. You were free to join Israel. Don't ever forget that. You were free to join Israel. You were encouraged to do so. Okay? If we ever do get around this year to beginning a study of the uh, gospel according to Matthew, we'll be looking at Jesus' genealogy, and we're going to see some outstanding pagans who joined Israel, okay, who became part of the commonwealth of Israel and received the promises. Okay? But now in Christ, you who once were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we're going to return to that uh, in much more detail in, in a few more minutes. But as you, if you look at your handouts then, I want to begin by actually looking at uh, another rather small verse. <clears throat> you might almost say an incidental verse. It's from the seventh chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, where Stephen, who was originally ordained as one of the Jerusalem seven, one of the uh, uh, seven first deacons in the church, okay, obviously made progress and actually became a preacher. 
okay, what we call a teaching elder in the church and an evangelist. He, along with Philip, remember the two of them, uh, advanced from being uh, simply serving the, the tables for the poor to actually serving the word of God to people, what we would call a preacher, uh, you see. But he's standing before the Sanhedrin, and he, has, uh, he just makes a small comment that I want to emphasize for you this morning. So, Roman numeral one. God has only one church. Okay? Dispensationalism says that the, the age of the church began in the New Testament. Okay? We reform people absolutely deny that, and we say that's where your problem, that's your problem from the very beginning, that you have put a dividing wall between the Old Testament and the New Testament, instead of seeing okay, that this is one church. We're going to be talking about Abraham. We've been talking about Abraham uh, all along, and I don't know if I surprised you or not, or whether you necessarily even noticed it, because I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, take any time. I just wanted to plant a seed at, uh, at the point I mentioned it. When did the church begin? When Adam ate that fruit because he would have gone to hell. The church is nothing more than the saved people of God. How, how could it be anything else? How, how could anybody go to heaven any other way other than Jesus Christ? It's nonsense to think that the people in the Old Testament could have been saved by the blood of goats and bulls. I don't know how dispensationalism ever... <laughs> How, how could you think that? There's only one way th that I may be found in him, you see. God is only one church. It has existed throughout all human history. Well, that is to say from the time of the fall when it was needed. Jesus Christ, the eternal, not uh, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, stood before the Father when Adam ate that fruit and pleaded for Adam's life. Or Adam and the whole race would have been wiped out. Okay? It has existed throughout all human history, including both the time of the Old Testament as well as that of the New Testament, and will exist until the end of the world. The church age is the entire age. It's his story. History is the story of the church of Jesus Christ. A. In his sermon before the Sanhedrin, Stephen stated, quote, This is he, he's talking about Moses, this is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us. Acts chapter 7, verse 38. Now you notice I skipped a little part that I put in the middle of that verse. I'll go back and look at it again. Now I'm reading from the uh, New King James, just, that's my habit, and uh, just to keep things uh, consistent, uh, I'm not happy to be using the King James uh, with this verse, not happy at all. It is not the New uh, King James, it is 
a new non-King James. Uh, The NKJV there stands for non-King James uh, version, not new King James version. Uh, The original, where it says there, uh, this is he, Moses, who was in the congregation, where it has the word congregation. Okay. The original word, the word that Stephen himself uttered, is the word ecclesia. Okay. In Latin, the word is ecclesia. In Greek, it's pronounced ecclesia. Okay. It comes from two parts. Ek is like in exit. You know, we spell exit E-X-I-T, but it's really E-K-S-I-T. Uh, X is a K and an S put together. And, okay. But ekklesia, and klesis, okay, comes from the Greek word kaleo. I kaleo you to the door. It means call. Ek. Ecclesia is the called out ones. Okay? Who did the calling? God. Sovereignty of God in these words. It's the sovereignty of God. Okay? The ecclesia. Um, and the word ecclesia, well, we, we even have it in English, don't we? We talk about ecclesiology. We talk about ecclesiastical. What does it mean? It means Church. Why does it say congregation? Are they similar? Of course they're similar. Okay. In my uh, judgment, congregation is sunagoge, which means mm, uh, ago to drive. Those who are driven together. That's a good word. But we tend to use the word congregation, and this is a congregation. But when we talk about the church, we recognize that this congregation is a part of the church. Okay? Um, it used to be the, uh, the uh, literary habit, uh, almost all literary habits have gone by the wayside, uh, that the word church used to be written two different ways. If it was written with a capital letter, it referred to the church of Jesus Christ, the universal church through all time and space. One church. Okay. And if it was if you meant, well, Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, well, when it uses a title, I guess you capitalize it anyway. But if you talk about this church, use a small c, that was just a, a uh, uh, a, uh, I can't think of the word, but it was a, not a habit, but a, it was a way of representing, when, especially if you were writing doctrinal things, um, which church are you referring to? The church or this little congregation, this church? Well, anyway, the funny thing is, okay, number one now, A1, although the King James Version translated literally, ecclesia, the church, their lead has seldom been followed, not even by the NKJV. Like I said, at this point, it's not the New King James, it's the non-King James translation. Number two, oddly enough, 
the New King James repeats and increases its inconsistency in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, where the Old King James says, okay, this is a quote, by the way, this is the writer from Hebrews who wrote in Greek, quoting from the Old Testament, Psalm 22, which of course was written in Hebrew, but, he's, but the Holy Spirit in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, inspired the Greek words. He inspired the Hebrew words too, but he inspired the Greek words. It's the right word, okay? And he, uh, he, he's uh, talking about a, uh, a wonderful prophecy. Remember, Psalm 22 begins, remember? It was the psalm that Jesus may very well have, have prayed the whole thing from the cross. We don't know. But, but the first line is there. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it's an amazing psalm. Because it begins with this gruesome, detailed description of the torture and the torment of the cross. And then it moves on to the glory of the Son and the glory that would come to the Son because of what he bore on the cross. And part of that is this verse quoted in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12. This is Jesus, in other words, speaking by way of prophecy in the Old Testament. I, this is Jesus talking to the Father. I will declare thy name unto my brethren, the ones I died for. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. That's the King James translation. Literal translation. Can't get more literal than that. Okay. And then the new King James, for some reason, I'll grant there's some reason, all right, but I'm, I don't want to press too hard in it on it because I can't read hearts. I don't know why translators and editors make their decisions. There's no way for me to know that. But they change it, and it's no longer, it's not the new, it's not updated language for the King James. It's a different doctrine in the new King James. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. So here's the Old King James being consistent. If the Greek word is ekklesia, then the translation is church. Everybody agrees with that. That's the word. Everybody agrees with that. Okay? But in Acts chapter 7 and verse 38, where Stephen is talking about the Old Testament, oh, we don't want to use the word church, even though that's the word the Holy Spirit used. That's the word the Holy Spirit used. He used the word ecclesia. And here in Hebrews uh, chapter 2 and verse 12, the same thing is happening. Okay? I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the... Oh, it's from the Old Testament. We better not use the word church. Well, I know dispensationalists would say that. We don't want to use the word church because that, that messes up our doctrine. You know, let's hope to God that they didn't, that they didn't make a, a filthy decision like that. I assume they didn't. I don't know how they didn't, but I assume they didn't. Okay? 
in, in this baptism business, okay, I'm going to be, you know, I don't know whether we'll get to it by next week, but hopefully at least by the following week, I'm going to point out the same thing. All the times that the word baptism is used in the New Testament, but it's not translated with the word baptism. And I'm just concerned that the reason might be because there's an awful lot of people who won't buy our Bible if we start pointing out how you baptize tables to clean them. And then you can't say it's immersion anymore, not, not and be a sensible person. But I can't help it. It's the word that's there. Okay? So here, too, why is it? Is, is it because you would, you would offend dispensationalists if you're talking about the church in the New Testament? I don't know the reason, but I'm offended. And I'm particularly offended for this reason. C. Other modern translations prefer either congregation or assembly. Okay, we've seen that. D. Uh, here it is. Here's the ringer. This, in spite of the fact that they, uh, modern translations, that they virtually always, I actually think it is always, but I did not, I did not take the time, and, and, and I, don't really, I don't have the software anymore. I don't have a proper computer to run the, 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 the really good, the heavy-duty, you know, 500 bucks piece of software. I still own it, but I don't use that kind of computer anymore where you can do really fancy uh, searches uh, in the original languages. Um, and so I had to go through uh, with uh, helpful programs, but uh, apps, now we call them, um, and, and just start pulling out verses. And here's what I did. All I did, I got, all, got a list of all the verses which use, in the Greek New Testament, that use the word ekklesia. Okay? And this is apparently, and I'm saying apparently because I didn't go through every, there's too many of them. <laughs> I didn't go through every single one. But here's what you end up with. So, okay, I use the word virtually because maybe there is an exception someplace, but I don't think so. I don't think so. I think this is absolute. This in spite of the fact that the modern translations virtually always translate the Greek word ecclesia as church in all the other verses, just not these two. Okay? I don't like that. I don't like it doctrinally, and that's why I'm getting all worked up over it. Because okay? I think it misleads you doctrinally. And because I'm afraid it shows a doctrinal slant. And that's not the place for translators. Translators are supposed to translate, not interpret. Okay. Example verses, you can, go, you can look at these for yourself. You know, Matthew 16, 18, 18, 17, Acts 5, on and on and on and on and on. And many more could be added. Matthew 16, 18 is an easy one. Okay. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my congregation. 
every modern translation, English, translates it, church. They just abandoned it for two places where it makes it obvious that that same church is in the Old Testament. Now, I don't need the words to prove that. I'm trying to give you a proof text. But they stole my proof, my proof text unless you're using the King James. That's a good reason to use a King James. <laughs> okay. They stole it. They took it away. Okay. Or, I'd be perfectly happy, let's just use the Greek New Testament. Well, I know that's a little facetious, isn't it, to, to say that. Okay. The shift, number three, the shift from translating the original word ecclesia from church in all these verses, like the King James did, to congregation or assembly in only, I, that's a mistake on my part there, not in only one verse, but in two verses, the two verses that I've already pointed out to you there. Okay, namely uh, Acts uh, 7.38 as well as Hebrews 2.12. Is hard to evaluate as not being a dispensationalist leaning in the translations. Okay. In other words, I don't want to use baptism. They don't want to use, when the, when, the, when, the, when the Bible says baptismos, they want to translate it washing so you don't know it's baptizing. Why? Well, because they don't, they apparently don't want to certify pedo-baptism. <laughs> All right, I understand that. But you're not playing fair here. You're changing it when it's convenient to you. Because you're changing it so that a dispensationalist can look at your translation and say, that's a really good translation. Okay, And it's not a really good translation. It's a, it's a changed translation. A translation changed... Not for linguistic reason, for doctrinal reason. Translation is a linguistic issue. Okay, if you if you take the doctrine, you can well, New World Translation, for example, the uh, Jehovah's Witness Bible. Okay, uh, New World. That's a doctrinal translation. That's take. You have certain doctrines that you're coming to the translation, and you make sure the translation fits it. Now. Once again, you know, hopefully, you know, Holman, uh, uh, at least the original owners, I guess they still are, of uh, New American Standard Translation, presumably, they wouldn't be trying to push dispensationalism, but why are they doing a translation that does? I don't know. I don't know. Okay? So... uh, it's hard to evaluate it as not betraying a dispensationalist leaning in the New American Standard, the uh, ESV, the, um, what's the E stand for, ESV? Is that what it is, English Standard? I'm so used to calling it ESV, thank you. And the LSB, that's the new, that's the one that, it's kind of John MacArthur's group, okay? Uh, Legacy. Uh huh. Yes, it's in the line of the New American Standard. It's almost identical, almost identical to the New American Standard. Now, of course, the New American Standard has gone through several morphs on its own, but that's translation issues are another. That's just another whole, another whole thing. 
The church is God's ecclesia, his called out people. Okay. His called out people. When you call somebody out, when you call people out, when God called Abram from Ur of the Chaldees, he called him out. What did he do? He separated him from the nations. And what's the Greek word for separate? Separated. Hagios. Holy. Saint. That's just something to put in your pocket. I'll be emphasizing it when we get to it, if we all live that long. Um, where the Apostle Paul says so shockingly in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, your children are saints. Your children are holy. My question to, to uh, Baptists, and there are, uh, I'm assuming all Baptists are honest, okay? but my question to them is, well, tell me, how are they holy then? How are they holy? In what sense? They're members of the ecclesia. That's how they're holy. They're saints. Not in the sen- in the Roman Catholic sense of saints are only the people canonized, you know, by the pope and they're in heaven and all that nonsense. Paul t- talks to the saints at the church in Ephesus. The saints at the church in Philippi. It means the church, the members of the church. Your children, when he says your children are holy, he means they're members of the church. We don't baptize babies, we pedo Baptists, to make them members of the church. They're already members of the church. Whether it was Jacob or Esau in the womb, they're members of the church. Are they elect? No. Are they regenerate? I shouldn't say no. We don't know if they are. They're at that point, if you look at it from that point of view. In the womb, we don't know. Okay? But God knows. But the point is, Esau, whom God hated, is every bit a saint a hagios, a member of the church and circumcised as much as his brother Jacob who was loved by God. Okay. Now, I'll be spending a lot more time with that, obviously. But, but this ecclesia, it, this is how you understand that otherwise very peculiar verse. Like I, like I say, I would like a Baptist uh, uh, preacher, theologian, to explain to me How are your children holy? You might not like my explanation, but there it is. They're part of the church. They're not part of the world. They're part of the the church. Okay? Okay. Uh, Whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament. So Peter, sorry, Stephen explicitly, it's it's a proof verse, except for they tried to take it away from me, and I'm trying to take it back. Okay? Stephen explicitly calls the Jews at Mount Sinai the church. 
the ecclesia. Okay? And the same with the writer of Hebrews, by the way. There is only one church. Old Testament and New Testament, that's how Stephen saw it. That's how the writer of Hebrews saw it. And that is how the Apostle Paul saw it. And so we'll go to him next, B. The Apostle Paul points out that Gentile believers have been joined to the Old Testament church. Okay? Now, he, he, he uses this um, uh, par- what we call parabolic, parable language, figurative language here, this business of the olive tree that we just uh, read, you know, a half hour ago. But uh, let's look a little bit uh, in more detail. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I want to do Romans first, and then I'm going to come to Ephesians. Sorry. The Apostle Paul points out that Gentile believers have been joined to that Old Testament church. In speaking to the Gentile Christians, Gentile Christians in Rome, okay, about Israel, he says, quote, okay, he's talking to the Gentile Christians in Rome. If some of the branches were broken, by the way, this idea of the olive tree, of course, remember Jesus uses the, the olive tree uh, as well as the fig tree, as well as the grapevine, all as figures of the church, but that goes back to the Old Testament also. The prophets used that, that same language about Israel. They, Jesus wasn't really being all that creative. He was just showing that he knows the Old Testament. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, if some of the branches were broken off, see, not all the Jews believed. Most of the Jews in Jesus' day rejected him, and they were broken off the tree. Okay? Covenant breakers get broken off the tree. That's the, that's the figurative language here. If some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, Gentiles, you see the figure of speech here? The, the cultivated olive tree is the Jewish people of old. The one that God has dug around and he's put a fence around it and he's taken care of it for all these years. Isaiah talks about that. Okay? And of course, Jesus does too. So you Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them. You were grafted into the Old Testament people of God, which was already there. It's not a new tree planted in the New Testament. The church is not a new tree planted in the New Testament. It's the one that's already there. The unbelieving Jews were cut off. Believing Gentiles are ingrafted in. One church. Okay? were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness. What's the root and fatness of the olive tree? I will be your God. The promises. And that's the top promise. Okay? And if he is my God, then this earth is mine. I have received in him all things, all things, it's ours. John Gershner used to like to talk about going to the pagan, uh, the great f- famous pagan 
uh, then they started out Christian, but now pagan universities because they had ancient manuscripts that he wanted to read and, and reproduce. He wanted to type them out and you have to go in special rooms and you have to wear special gloves and you know and he, but he was allowed to take his little portable typewriter and type these uh, things out and he said you know the marvelous things marvelous thing about this those unbelievers are working for us they're preserving the Jonathan Edwards little cards I've seen reproductions of them that, that Gershner made he passed it around in class so you could see the little the little cards that, uh, that Edwards preached from. Okay. But the pagans are taking care of them for us. They're ours. The whole world is ours. Everything is ours. Remember, we, 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 we studied through Ephesians. That's, that's, a, that's all the way through Ephesians. Well, anyway, we became, you, uh, you uh, uh, wild olive trees you were grafted in among them and with them the originals you became a partaker of the fruit and of the root and fatness of the olive tree do not boast against the branches you know you know those those Jews you know don't hate the the Jewish church the true Jewish church. Okay. I know dispensationalists run in all, man, oh man, you know. I might even wear a, uh, I always think of a Yamaha, but you'd look funny with a Yamaha on your head. That's a Yamaha there. That, well, anyway. Um, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Now, that's a good question, what he means by root. Does he mean the Jewish church? I don't think so. I think the Jew, in this figure here, the Jewish church is the tree. It's the cultivated olive tree. And so what would the root be? God. Yeah. Yeah, Christ. God. You were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree. That's all from Romans uh, chapter 11. Romans 9 to 11 is Paul's tour de force on understanding uh, uh, God's dealing with Israel. How, what, what's the nature of that uh, for uh, the, uh, what we call the Christian age for New Testament times and forward. So, now, th- that's, there's the truth there for you, but it's, uh, you have to get the, uh, you have to get the figures. You have to get the, the parabolic language, okay? Uh, now we're going to, now we'll finally uh, go to the reading of the, of the morning Ephesians chap- from Ephesians chapter 2. So point number two here. Again, Paul writes, about the unity of the church in both testaments. Quote. Okay, so this is from Ephesians 2. You, once Gentiles in the flesh, notice how Paul once again addresses himself. There, there were probably some Jewish people, okay, in uh, the, the Ephesian church, uh, probably not many, but there were some. Okay, you remember the, you remember the whole fuss uh, with uh, 
the silversmiths and the Diana worship and all that, that that Ephesus was really famous for, and they attacked the synagogue and remember all that stuff. Okay, um, you once Gentiles in the flesh, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. The covenants of promise were given to the, to the commonwealth of Israel. There is this difference between the church in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament. The church in the Old Testament was embodied in an ethnic group, the Jewish people. That's no longer true. I'm going to be pointing this out as we go along. Outward things changed between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you ate a lamb, a roast lamb. In the New Testament, you take a piece of bread and eat. But they both symbolize the, the, the Lamb of God who died to take away the sins of the world. The outward signs change. That, of course, is, is the Reformed person's reason that we say the Sabbath remains. And we have other reasons as well. Like, for example, the Sabbath was not established on Mount Sinai. The Sabbath is not Jewish. The Sabbath was established in Genesis chapter 2, where God, what did he do? Sanctified it. He made it holy. He separated it. The the Sabbath is as much a creation ordinance as man and woman in marriage. So take that. That's where it comes from. All right? All right, well, you are without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. If you were going to be saved, you had to be taken into the Jewish people and be circumcised and become a Jew. Okay? And of course, that's what the Judaizers who chased Paul over, over most of the known world, that's what they were arguing. They've got to be Jews if they're going to be Christians. Okay? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. By our, he doesn't mean Jews, he's Jew, and he doesn't mean Gentiles, he means our, the church, okay, the one church. For he himself is our peace, who made both one, what both? Jews and Gentiles, that's what he's talking about. He made both one. Don't let anybody ever tell you that they're, that, you know, some of the, some of the New Testament is written for, for Jewish Christians and some is for Gentile Christians. That's absolute heresy. To say nothing of nonsense. You only have to read it. 
You know, I, somebody once told me that, that he heard some dispensationalist saying that, you know, first and second Peter, Peter is the apostle to, to the Jews, and so those are for the Jews. Then how comes he addresses himself to Gentiles? He does. Just read it. He addresses himself to Jews, too. It's just absolute. It's, yeah, I mean, you've got to be not real. Let's just be nice and say thoughtful to think stuff like that, you know, and to think that Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles and not to the Jews, and every city he goes to, he goes to the Jews first, including Rome. Everyone. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> he himself is our peace who made both one. That's my theme of the day. Only one church. Not two churches. Not a Jewish church and a Gentile church. One church. Okay. And has broken down the middle wall of separation. Anybody know what that is? Remember the, uh, the temple had been destroyed and the, the, what we call the second temple was built by that great, uh, that great uh, godly uh, man named Herod. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and this is, uh, I, I'm not any good at this stuff, but and, and, and so I'm making this up. I mean, I, I, know the, I know the levels, but I don't know how big anything was or, you know. There was the Holy of Holies in the temple. And who goes into there? The high priest once a year. And then there was the holy place. And who goes in there? The priests go in there every day. Okay. And then there is, uh, in general, sometimes this uh, was called the, you can get a lot of this from Josephus, by the way. He's good for this stuff. Um, it's not inspired, but he's a, you know, he's decent. Uh, he, he, he's not going to fiddle with this. He describes it accurately. Uh, the court of Israel, or the, sometimes called the court of, uh, of, of B'nai Israel, of the sons of Israel, of the Israel peop Israelite people. Okay? It actually was divided into two. Okay? The, this technically is the court of the sons of Israel, and then there was the court of the women who weren't allowed to go as far. You see how we're growing further away? High priest, once a year. The priests. Israel men. The women. And then who, what was this? Do you remember? The court of the Gentiles. Um, uh, Herod had good reason for that. Okay. Uh, and uh, this wall apparently uh, is a... Uh, 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 I, I have read a, a, a height that I can't remember. Uh, I, I think maybe I've read five foot. doesn't matter. 
what, there were lots of, uh, th this temple was a sight to behold. This was a wonder. This really was a wonder to behold. And they wanted to come and see. And this wall was there. And they have found inscriptions, archaeologists have found inscriptions from that wall that threatened death for any Gentile who would dare. This is sort of not considered not the temple. By the way, a lot of people say this is where the money tables and, and uh, all that stuff was set up that Jesus cleared out. Okay, uh, Whether that's necessarily true, I don't know. I'm just passing on to you um, what I have read. If you were, well, go ahead, go. Let's go there. Uh, Acts 21, 28, because I can't finish this anyway. So we may as well enjoy ourselves while we're here. Acts 21, 28. Okay. Now, um, well, let's start with 27. Um, Paul, this is where Paul gets arrested. And this, this is what starts his trip to Rome under arrest the whole way. Okay. Uh, verse 27. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing Paul in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. That was a, a typical word, okay? This place in Hebrew and Greek, uh, meaning the temple, was called the place. It was also called the house, okay, uh, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. In other words... They took that, that, that uh, plaque seriously. Gentiles, you're going to be responsible for your own death if you cross this line. And they assumed that Paul, who had a right, okay, took Trophimus, who was a Christian Gentile, in, uh, across this middle wall of separation. That's the middle wall of separation. Okay, this was to symbolize that the Jewish people are God's chosen people. They're separate. They're holy. They're ecclesia. They're called out. Okay, now, by the way, lest you get confused about this, so this wall here is telling the Gentiles you're lost. You're lost. You cannot come in to the comfortable presence of God. And what's here? The veil. What's on the veil? The cherubim. And who are the cherubim? They are the armed guards at the gate of Eden. And not even the high priest 
Not the women of Israel, not the men of Israel, not the priests of Israel, not the high priest of Israel has a right to go in to the presence of God. And it's torn. It's not only the middle wall of separation, but even the veil is torn in Christ. Okay? Well, that's just your, so your, the picture so you know what he's talking about here. Okay? For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. That's the middle wall of separation. Okay? Having abolished it, in his, uh, have abolished in his flesh the enmity. There's a whole lot more going on here than, than, than I'm uh, making reference to, by the way. I'm only trying to show you certain things here and, instead of, you know, taking hours and hours to do this. Okay. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Dispensationalism says that nailed to the cross of Christ are the ordinances... And therefore, you don't have to keep the commandments. It's the ordinances. The commandments, look at the verse, contained in ordinances. The ordinances are the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. Now, if God says... Thou shalt not eat hot dogs. Okay. We call that a positive command in theology. A positive command. What's a positive command? See, when God says thou shalt not commit adultery, that's not a positive command. Well, what do you mean? Well, by the way we use this term, positive command, we mean something that would not be wrong in and of itself, but if God says so, then it's a commandment. So that an ordinance is not a thing in and of itself. There's nothing holy about being kosher, unless God told you, and you do it not for the sake of being kosher, but for the sake of God. If you keep the commandment because of your love and respect and fear of God. You get that? So, what he abolished in his flesh was not the Ten Commandments. Those are not positive commandments. That's what we call natural law. You don't need the Bible to be able to tell that those things are wrong. You don't need the Bible to be able to tell that murder and stealing, that taking God's name in vain, is wrong. God doesn't have to tell you. You know it's wrong. Okay? And if you're thinking straight, you know you don't need God to tell you that there's a Sabbath day. You don't need him to tell you that. You know, if there's a God, you owe him everything. You may not know which day. He'd have to tell you that. And he could change that. And he did. Okay? Outward forms can change. Okay? 
but the essence, the substance, the reality, it can't change. The blood of goats and bulls never could atone for sin, ever. Okay. Only the blood of some perfect sacrifice. That can't change. Okay. Well, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, including all of this here stuff. The whole book of Hebrews is about this. Why the temple is no longer needed. I'm one of the ones who, it doesn't really make a whole big difference. I'm inclined to think that the book was written before 70 AD and where this was literally wiped out and that it was part of a preparation, the Holy Spirit preparing the Jewish Christians for what was going to happen to their beloved temple. Okay, But whether it was before or after, the book of Hebrews is about helping the the Jewish Christians to understand once the perfect sacrifice has been offered, you not only don't need a temple, but if you insist on the temple, it becomes an abomination, an affront to Jesus Christ. Just like the Roman Catholic Mass, the sacrifice of the Mass, it's an abomination. Dare you think that something needs to be added? Oh, I know. Their theologians dance all around it. I know. I know. But I also know they call it the sacrifice. You can dance all you want. But unless you repent of that, you're still calling it a sacrifice. You see? Well, okay. Um, But he goes on. So, uh, abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man. Only one body. Only one church. So as to create in himself one new man from the two. One Two, one. Okay? Thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God. Okay? In one body. I think there's a play on words here. In one body could mean the one body of believers. Jew and Gentile in one body. That's what it seems like grammatically. I don't know which one it is. Uh, Or it could mean we're one body because Christ only had one body. He didn't have two sacrifices, one for the Jews and one for the Gentiles in his own one body. I don't know which one it is. So I'm inclined to think both. Uh, In one body through the cross, for through him... We both, Jews and Gentiles, have access by one spirit to the Father. Notice how Trinitarian Paul is, even when he's not talking about the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Unitarianism, is, is, it, it's got the same problem with, with all other major heresies. It doesn't know the Bible. 
or it doesn't acknowledge the Bible at least, whether it knows it or not, I don't know. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're no longer in the court of the Gentiles, but fellow citizens with the saints, the ecclesia, the chosen people, okay? and members of the household of God. Okay, And that's all those versions, uh, verses from Ephesians. Now, uh, as I was thinking about this further, and every time, that's the trouble, every time I go through notes to look at what I'm going to say, then I think, oh, I should have said that. So here's two quick ones you can just add, and then we'll be done for the day here. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. I'll just read it for you, and you can look at it later. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. I just want you to see how all over the place this is. You just got to have eyes to see it. But once you buy a doctrine, be careful about buying doctrines, including reform doctrines. Be careful. You've got to read the word. Okay? Paul says to the Corinthians, we were all baptized. He's talking Jew and Gentile again. We were all baptized into one body. Well, he might not be talking about Jews and Gentiles. Well, let him talk for himself. We were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. Enough said. They used the word Greeks. See, the Greeks had a tendency to consider themselves special, sort of like the Jews. Uh, the, we are Greeks, and everybody else are barbaroi. Barbaroi, sorry. Greek syllables shift funny. Uh, everybody else is barbarian. That's where the name Barbara comes from. It means barbarian. It means a non-speaker of Greek. Okay. Well, anyway. Um, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, in other places, but not here, he adds male or female. Okay. And have all been made to drink into one spirit. Okay. This word, uh, by the way, the, the modern movement for uh, women ministers and such, that's where they, that's where they fall off the road to. Um, yeah, it's one body, but that doesn't mean that a two-year-old child can preach. And it doesn't mean that a woman can preach. It means if she's if she's a believer in Jesus Christ, she's a member of the one body, which is the church. But it doesn't mean not all men have a right to be ministers. You must be apt to teach. Remember, we saw all that stuff in Ephesians. Okay? There are requirements for these things, and one of them is gender. Okay? Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. But the point is... These verses don't, these verses are, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, I went to a liberal seminary. And, you know, I'd hate to see what liberal 45 years ago, what liberal looks like today in seminaries. Um, but uh, the idea of, uh, you know, we, Bobby and I one day were up, we were in Canada. And uh, it was a Sabbath day and so we didn't know anything. We we're trying to look for a church 
And uh, we went to this church because it sounded like a reformed name. I can't remember the name of it. Christian Reform, maybe. Is, is Christian Reform Church in Canada? Okay. Well, I think it was called something like that. And in those days, there was a CRC in the United States, Christian Reformed Church, which in those days was a conservative, reformed church. Okay. It is no longer. But in those, that's how fast things change. But in those days, we thought we were going to a Christian church. And I'm not saying that they absolutely weren't Christians, but you couldn't tell from the sermon. Um, uh, I, uh, but one thing uh, that the preacher had to say was that, remember Martha and Mary from Bethany? And where is it you always find Mary? Every time she appears in the Bible, at Jesus' feet. Okay? She was a disciple of Jesus. Oh, that means women can be ministers. <laughs> Any port in a storm, uh, you know. Well, anyway, uh, so we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. And then one final verse for you, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. There is one body and one spirit. How many different ways do you require the Holy Spirit to say there is one church? I think I've proven it from the, from the proof texts. And I'm saying you don't need the proof texts. You only need to think. How else can you be saved? You're a child of Adam and Eve. How else could you be saved but through the Savior? Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. That doesn't mean universalism. It means the world only gets one Savior, and that's him. Take it or leave it. You know? Okay. Um, so that's the first step of my, uh, my uh, talk on the only one church. If you, if you think of it, uh, why don't you fold that up and put it in your Bible and bring it back next week because I'm going to want the one last line on the bottom of this page uh, as we continue this study uh, tomorrow. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, how we thank you that because of you, not only the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile has been broken down, but that far, for, far more formidable wall, the veil of the cherubim has been torn from top all the way to the bottom in Jesus Christ that we who were far away have been brought close because of him. Oh Father, how we pray that you would overwhelm us with the magnificence and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.